Welcoming you to another episode of Stories and Songs. And today you're going to hear a tale about places in the woods. Unusual places that make you feel a little edgy and make you feel like you need to move on. So here we go. This story was told to me by an elderly gentleman who is no longer with us. He lived in the Mentone, Alabama area. And he said the story began when he was a boy. And it goes like this. They say the Cherokees sometimes laid a curse on the homes and places that they were forced to leave behind during the days of the Indian removal. He said he'd heard stories all his life about places in those woods that you just didn't want to go, where you didn't want to linger very long, you just needed to move on. I can recall such a place from when I was a boy out hunting with my dad, a place down off the ridge where we never did dilly-dally very long. It was a home site with gnarly old trees and briars growing everywhere, a spooky place where you didn't feel welcome, where you almost expected to see a ghost and you felt as though you were being watched. When the wind stirred those trees, it sounded like a mournful moan. My dad said it had been the home of a Cherokee family who was forced to give up their land during the Trail of Tears. He said often the Cherokee would place a curse over their lands when they were driven away from it. I asked him about the Cherokee. He told me if I really wanted to know more about them that I should go and see Granny Dollar. Granny Dollar was a very old woman who had lived a long life. He said she would tell me the truth. I had been to see her several times with my dad. About three times a year, he would take me along and we'd go and do some repairs on our old cabin or we'd take her sausage in the fall after we'd killed a hog or fresh milk from the cow. And I liked her. I liked the way she talked and the tone of her voice. Even though she was a very old woman, even when I first met her, she spoke in a sing-song manner that made you want to listen. So one Saturday, my mom baked some peanut butter cookies and sent along a couple jars of her blackberry preserves and some fresh tomatoes with me in a basket when I set out to go and see her. It was a long walk to her place down the hollow where she lived with an old dog named Buster in her cabin with a few chickens and some goats. Despite her age, she still grew her own garden and killed a few squirrels and would be seen at the general store about once or twice a year for a supply of dry goods. Now, if you caught her on a good day, she'd tell you just about any story you wanted to hear, and that day was a good one. Granny Dollar was sitting on her porch in her rocking chair with Buster at her feet when I walked into her yard. She called out to me and asked who I was and what did I want, and I told her who I was and stepped up on the porch. I handed her the basket of goods my mother had sent along for her, and she instantly went for the peanut butter cookies. After she'd asked after everyone, and I caught her up on the news from home, I asked her to tell me more about the Cherokee and the Trail of Tears, and those places in the woods that made me so uneasy. She munched on a cookie for a moment and then began talking. She told me to sit down and listen, so I took a seat on the porch step and took a cookie for myself. 
Granny Dollar began her story. She said that she was the oldest child in a very large family when she was born off Sand Mountain in an area they called Buck's Pocket, and that they had a farm there. She told me they'd farmed the land and raised goats and cattle and chickens, but then there was a treaty signed between the white men and the Cherokee that made people like her father and their family and thousands of others give up their homes and move to lands west of the big river they call the Mississippi. There was a great rounding up of our people, she said, and they was cruel about it, too. They'd burn our cornfields or even our cabins. They killed our cattle and poisoned our wells sometimes to drive us away. She said women were raped and babies were killed in the sport of it all. She told me it was the devil's work and that the devil's name was Andrew Jackson. She said her father swore he'd never go or leave his land, so he took his family in a cave that overlooked the Tennessee River, and Granny Dollar said they hid out there for several years, living off the bounty of the forest until she was seven or eight years old. She said they moved back home then later because by then the soldiers had gone. Now those places you walk through you say that don't feel right are the places where my people used to live, she said. Why, they place a curse on the land so that no white man could walk there safe nor even ever take it for his own. They left behind witness trees too, old trees that they would bend and twist into shape as they grew where they carved symbols into them to mark some of those spots. And they called upon some old, old spirits that the Cherokee called the Watchers to come and guard those places. Spirits with red glowing eyes and razor sharp teeth, she said. And them Watchers will chase you if you stay too long in those places and you don't want him to catch him either. When you come up on a place like that, you'll know it, she said, and you best just move on. I left Granny Dollar's house that day and avoided passing through an old home site near there as I hurried home before dark. Over the years, I tried to avoid those places altogether after that. I never forgot what she'd told me, and I sure didn't want to see one of those watchers. But I'll tell you about one of those places and some hunters from over in Atlanta who came up here on Lookout Mountain after I was a grown man and rented themselves an old cabin that set off near the Georgia line from a banker who'd owned the land out there and they had taken that from the Cherokee. Those big city boys came down that muddy road that day in a fine new Chevy carry-all just loaded down with food and supplies. They saw me outside splitting firewood and stopped and asked me if I knew anyone they could hire to clean the old cabin up. I knew the place they were talking about. It had been empty for years because no one wanted to live there or stay there, at least not for long, and I asked them if they were sure they wanted to rent that particular place, but they said they did, and I didn't offer up an explanation, that they didn't see a reason why not, so I just kept my mouth shut. I thought about it a little while and talked to Jonas Lee and Miss Jessie and talked them into taking the job of cleaning up the place because Christmas was coming and I knew they could use the money with those five kids of theirs. So they went out there and chopped firewood and cleaned the cobwebs and scrubbed the kitchen and cut the vines away from the walls. They washed the windows and swept the porch and put away all those supplies the men had left and in a few days those men returned and paid them a hundred dollars for their work. 
they settled in for a few weeks to hunt. I was pretty sure those city boys wouldn't last long out there after all, and I was right. Before the week was over, they came by my house just after daylight one morning and asked me to tell that banker that the deal with him was off. I could tell they were all shook up, so I asked them in for a good stout cup of coffee with a little whiskey in it to calm them down. I asked them what had happened, and they told me everything was fine the first couple days. They ate good and went hunting and even got themselves a buck. But then that third night, that third night, one of the men, Harvey, was out walking across the field to the outhouse when he saw something out there that made him turn and run the other way. He said he'd never seen anything like it before and didn't ever want to see it again. He came screaming back to the cabin, saying they were all going to die. The other two didn't believe him and thought he'd gone crazy or know what he was talking about at all, and they didn't know if he might be playing a prank. But they got him inside and set him down in front of the fire and wrapped him up in a blanket because he was shivering and he was going into shock. He cried out that it was going to come for them. And just as soon as he said that, something began bumping and banging around outside on the walls of the house like a giant hand was raking fingernails along a chalkboard. And then the smoke from the chimney began backing up in the room and hot logs rolled out onto the floor so that they had to stamp out the fire. A window shattered in the kitchen and the dishes all fell off the table and there was a loud howl outside that chilled them all to the bone. The hunters spent that whole night sitting back to back against the fireplace, too frightened to bolt and run as the thing pounded on the roof and the doors and the walls and walked across the porch with heavy menacing footfalls growling and its red peering eyes looking in through the windows at them. Near dawn, they said things quieted down a bit and they got up the courage to step, step outside and they could tell it that the thing was gone, but they could see the path of destruction it had left behind, down the walk and through the field where the outhouse lay crushed. But it was the giant claw marks gouged out into the log walls of the cabin and the large footprints on the porch that chilled them to the bone the most. And the carcass of that fresh kill buck was laying over the top of the chimney. That terrified them. And the carryall was all smashed up and smeared with that deer blood. The men left the cabin and ran back for the carryall with only the clothes on their backs and a little pocket change, they said. I watched them drive away, and I knew they were lucky to have lived to tell their tale, and I also knew they would never be back. So, I hope you enjoyed that story, and I'll see you again soon.